Today we're going to, anyone know, this is one of my favorite words, logaria. Anyone familiar with that word? Okay. Katie is too, unfortunately. A couple people. All right, I'm going to define that word, since most of you don't know it. Um, we're going to talk about why the gospel writer Mark does not suffer from a case of it. We're going to move into divine sonship as defined by a path of suffering. And then we're going to finish with what, this is my image, uh, the tender hand of Jesus in our sustaining us through uh, our oftentimes painful journey. So will you pray with me? Send your spirit among us, O oh God, as we meditate on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Prepare our minds to hear your word, move in our hearts to accept what we hear, and purify our will to obey you in joy and in faith, as we pray through Christ our Savior. Amen. Alright, so the historical church has crafted this rhythm of prayer and worship that continues around most of the world to shape the life of, of Christians. And so today we're gathering here the first Sunday of Lent. Lent is this 40-day period that focuses our attention on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you may be familiar with this. Most of us are the Lenten tradition of giving something up for the six weeks of Lent. Did anyone decide to do anything this year for Giving something up for Lent? If so, let's, so who's willing to shout one out? Yeah, Eric, Michelle, you guys want to start us off? Alcohol. Okay. Ooh. Nice. Both of you? I mean, you know that Latico last night? <laughs> 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 we took that night off, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're going for 40 days, not the 47, so there's, okay. there's time off. Like, it's okay. true. Technically, it's supposed to be on a Sunday, well, but we're going to let this slide. Not your time. <laughs> All right, and you're right. This is 2018. Good. I love it. That's awesome. That's that's like, it's taking it up a notch. Anybody else give anything up for Lent? Yeah, Nancy. Chocolate. Chocolate. All right. All sweets. All sweets in the back. Yeah. I'm doing food after 8 p.m. So, and the reason for that is I open up a bag of uh, olive oil, Trader Joe's popcorn. It's 1,100 calories, and I usually eat it about 9 9.30, and I see the whole bag. <laughs> and then I wonder why my clothes aren't fitting me. <laughs> Anybody else? Okay, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. So it's not, this is what I always say, it's not too late to start during Lent, because the longer you wait, the easier it gets. Right? You just have to do it for less time. Um, so, but if you want to join starting today, it'd be great. So the ancient church, they also urged people during Lent to take things on, not just to give things up. And so this has kind of been the part in more modern times that we've lost, where we're good at giving stuff up for Lent. Um, but the ancient church actually asked us to take on things like prayer and fasting and giving to the poor. So our Lenten challenge at Lightshine, hello Ricky. Um, it's, it's always been to take things off and to put things on. So one way that we'll do this together, so if you look in the back, there's it says, uh, what's it say, cash for clean clothes. So we have done this in the past. Even social services, their appliances just break down. Uh, now their washing machine is, is about to die. Um, and that washing machine is used to wash the clothes of our homeless brothers and sisters in the community. So we've agreed to partner with them again and try to get them a washer by Easter. So does that sound like a commitment we can handle? Um, so if you'd like to contribute to that, that jar is going to be there for the six weeks of Lent. And hopefully by the end, uh, we'll be able to, to provide them with that, which is a big need. So, here's the beginning of our Lenten journey. Mark, uh, Gospel, Gospel of Mark chapter 1, verses 9-15. It reads like this. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. 
Just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart, the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved, with you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for forty days, tempted by Satan, who was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. The word of the Lord. And so, I started with my favorite words, loggery, I love this word. It's defined as a tendency toward extreme loquacity. Okay? Now you're like, <laughs> a big word with a wordy definition. But since that's not easy to understand, its literal definition is diarrhea of the mouth. <laughs> that's its literal definition. In other words... Somebody talks too much, <laughs> right? So why I think of this, because Mark is like the older opposite of a, guy, a person having a case of watery. And so I was thinking about public speaking and writing. And it's like there's this common misconception that says that you need to be long-winded and use big words to look smart. Like I just did, using not only watery, but loquacity. Um, being long-winded and using fancy words, what it really does is ensure that nobody will understand or remember a single thing you say. Right? That's what it really is. And so we think back to school, so like you guys still in school. Um, I don't know if it's this way today. You guys can help us out, right? Well, I know when a lot of us were going to school, it was all about word count and page numbers. Right? <laughs> is it still about that? Not really. Not really? Okay. I'm so glad to hear that. Is that true? Michael Ryder, is that true for you? <laughs> really? I want to go back to school now. Do you still have to do math? <laughs> It made me think about this paper that I had to write in seminary. Uh, I had a choice between, when I took this one class, the end of the systematic theology, these three classes that all run together, and at the very end they gave me the option, write one giant paper or take all the tests. And I'm like, I want to write the one giant paper, 75 pages. So I worked on this paper for months, uh, and it had to be postmarked by 6 p.m. on Friday. Five o'clock, I finished the paper. <laughs> I have an hour to print. Now, this is, by the way, 100% of my grade. If it's postmarked beyond six o'clock, it's a zero. All right, so there's a little bit riding on this. Um, like, I was, when I say sweat and bullets, I mean, I was stressed out of my mind. Five o'clock, I'm relieved. I've got an hour to print and get to FedEx, which is only five minutes away. And then I hit print. And remember that this is not 2018. <laughs> I hit print. And I waited, and waited, and waited, and my paper was printing, those of us that can remember this, one dot at a time. <laughs> Dots making up the words, the words making the paragraphs, paragraphs, pages. This thing is seriously printing at what, what, about a page a minute, 75 pages, one hour, right? Um, like, I, I'm just destroyed. It took what seemed like days to print. I finally got it done, raced over to FedEx. There were so many people in FedEx that they hadn't had a chance to lock the door yet. They took it, they allowed me to send it. Now, I, th I thought about that because then I was found, okay, well, what's a contrast to that? Here's a good contrast. George Washington, second inaugural address, 135 total words. 30 seconds. Oh, wow. 30 seconds. I think the reason is the truth is he didn't want to be president again. Um, but anyway, that's how long it was. Like, can you imagine a presidential speech today that lasted for 30 seconds? 
Like when I thought about this, I'm like, the, pres the, the applause alone after every sentence in a presidential speech lasts longer than 30 seconds, you know? Um, all right, so show of hands. Who would rather read my 75-page credo paper with your free time this afternoon or listen to George Washington's second in the world? That's what I thought. Now, the truth is, I don't want to read my paper, all right? Um, I've never looked at it again. So brevity is really important. And so, but what we're going to learn here with Mark is that uh, Mark doesn't suffer from the case of Logaria, right? Um, he is the shortest, most succinct writer in the entire New Testament. What he does is he shares three separate but connected incidents in the life of Jesus in 131 words. Like, this is crazy how much he crams into just about 30 seconds. He tells us about Jesus' baptism in 61 words. He shares the story of temptation in 34. He summarizes the gospel in 36. So, what we're going to learn is that the significance of the events, even though they're written that succinctly, the significance of these events are far greater than their word count. So that's why I'm really glad to hear that you guys aren't paying as much attention to that, because that's not what's most important. So somewhere along the way, now this is the, one of the dumber ideas I've ever had, I had the bright idea that I was going to try to teach the three events that Mark does using the exact number of words that he used, right? Not smart. I really struggled with this, but I'm going to do it because I made myself try it. So here we go, right? <laughs> Jesus' baptism in 61 words. This was painful to try. Here it is. Jesus' baptism means that Jesus will now speak and act for God as God. Three things that all come out of the Old Testament signify the inauguration of God's kingdom that demonstrate that Jesus is the greater one that John the Baptist was pointing to. The heavens are torn open, the spirit descended on him, and the heavenly voice spoke to him. Here's the baptism, the temptation in 34 words. The temptation reveals suffering, not celebration. The spirit that declared Jesus to be God's son drove him into the wilderness in order to endure real human temptation and defeat the adversary of God. In the gospel, 36 words. The gospel is, the good news, is Jesus himself. Jesus gave a 19-word commencement speech at the beginning of his public ministry that says simply that with his arrival has come the reign or the rule of God. There it is, 131 words, right? Now, I will never do that again. I promise you, because I agonize. You have to agonize over every single word means something. And I think that's the way it was for Mark. Every single word means something. It's just loaded with all kinds of stuff. So what does it mean? As the shape, I could have just ended right here. All right? Um, but I'm not sure how much you would have gotten out of so far. So, unfortunately, we're going to have to use more than 131 words uh, to tell us what it means and how it shapes our Lenten journey. So here we go. Jesus' baptism, I just want to highlight one thing. After the great prophets of Israel, there were about five centuries where the Jews believed that God had simply stopped speaking to them, that prophecy had ceased. And so they longed for this time that God would once again be speaking to his people. Here it is. At Jesus' baptism, we learn that God's silence is now over. God has something to say, and look what God chooses to say. God says Jesus is the divine son. And God is very, very pleased. But here's the surprise. Right after that, it says, 
that Jesus will reveal God through suffering. This is the big surprise of this passage. The moment Jesus emerges from the waters of baptism, he's filled with the Spirit of God. He's immediately, Mark says, driven out into the wilderness to be tested. There's no time for a party. There's no celebration. There's not even time to sit down or catch his breath. We all have experienced that. I actually saw one of my friends this morning, he's a pastor of another church at Starbucks at like 6.15. And I saw him and asked him how he was doing. You know what he said? He goes, I'm really tired. <laughs> I'm like, so am I, man. Uh, we can all relate. We can all relate to that. Jesus has no time to rest in Mark. There's too much to do, right? <clears throat> and so wilderness in the Bible, it's always this place, this proving ground, this testing place of one's faithfulness. And there's one detail in the text in this section that I actually want to talk about and offer my opinion of. I, don't, I actually don't know that I've heard people talk about this very much. It's usually one of those things that you pass over, but I think it's, I think it's important. And so any of us who've spent a lot of time in the wilderness, there's a few people in here, uh, we know there's this reference to the wild beasts in the passage that Jesus was with the wild beasts. Um, you know, <laughs> Eric, you and I have slept out on the ground a number of times. Uh, no tent in the middle of like bear country. Um, what we know for certain is that we are out there with creatures that could eat us for lunch if they wanted to, right? Um, and we just we accept that and we do it anyway. Um, and so any of us who've done that before, we know that, that that's the case. But it's safe to say that's not what Mark is talking about when he says that Jesus was out there with the wild beasts. So here are my, uh, here are my wild beasts. <laughs> Well, Jesus is not talking about these guys. You know, there they are. I decided I have to get it in every couple months because <laughs> um, I love them. Um, but these are my wild beasts. Uh, this is not what Jesus is talking about. Or Mark. It's, it's safe to say that he's not talking about lions and tigers and bears. All mine. Thank you. Um, but this is a reference to Roman persecution. And this is why it makes sense to talk about this, especially during the beginning of Lent. And so there was this crazy maniac named Nero. Some of you know your history. You might remember this guy. One of his insane acts was actually lighting the city of Rome on fire, right? For his own enjoyment. This is the kind of guy we're talking about. Uh, burned three-fourths of the city to the ground. And as a scapegoat, he decided he wanted to blame this small group of Roman Christians that were living in the city. And so he began rounding them up and publicly executing them for what he called, and this is the craziest thing, hating on the human race, whatever that means. I don't know what that means, but that's what he said. And so the Roman historian Tacitus, who wrote about the persecution under Nero of Christians, said that Christians were covered with the hides of wild beasts, right? And they were torn to pieces by dogs. And so Mark, writing around the time of Nero's persecution, guess what his readers would have thought of? You know, these people, they're living through this. They, they understand this persecution. And when they read this, they would have made that connection. Life is hard. Life is painful. There is real suffering and real, you know, stuff that happens in our lives. And so Mark's first hearers, they would have known this. They wouldn't have gone and noticed that Christians all around were, were suffering greatly at this persecution. But then they would have said, you know what, they look at this passage in Mark and they're going to say that they're learning also that Jesus himself faced the same stuff. And that's what they look and they say, oh wow, yeah, we understand that the Christians are going through this persecution but so too did the divine Son of God himself walked this path of suffering. That Jesus, too, was thrown to the wild beasts. And so they would have made this connection. 
But here, to me, is the most important part of the passage. All the while, during those 40 days of hunger, see, there's no details in here. But if you took, take a look at uh, Matthew and Luke and their, their Gospels, and we look at the temptation, we know that Jesus suffered hunger, incredible temptation. But all the while, Mark is implying that God was walking with him the whole way. But it was God who saw Jesus through this 40 days of probably what had to be incredible suffering. And so something important is being said here, that God walks with us, that God sustains us in these wilderness experiences of our own lives. And to me, this is the kind of profound truth that comes out of today's text. Now, I've been reading the latest book by one of my modern-day heroes, Father Greg Boyle. Any fans here, Homeboy Industries? Yeah, he's here in L.A., um, and I got to this one really challenging part of his book that I want to read. He has a new book, I highly recommend it, it's called Barking to the Choir, and it's about kinship, about the connectedness of the human family. Um, and so, I was reading this book, and he says that no matter how any situation in life turns out, whether it turns out well or it turns out poorly, he says it doesn't matter, God is always with us in any situation. And he said that Jesus was born and called Emmanuel, which means God is with us, Right? And so tenderly holding us through good times and the bad. He's highlighting this. And he went on to cite a really, really challenging example. It really got me thinking. He said, you remember getting a ton of emails after the tragedy of 9-11. He said there were all these stories about how these specific people who were headed to the World Trade Center that day, they were delayed by these minor, small annoyances in their lives. He cited one that was stuck in a traffic jam, another about to make a stop to get donuts for the office. Someone else's alarm failed to go off. And he talks about these emails that he received, and he says the writers of these emails were all concluding one thing, that although they were initially frustrated by these small annoyances, he said that they all said that they remained proof that God was really watching over them, because if they hadn't had these small annoyances, they would have died, right? And so Father G went on to say that as touching as those emails were, that what that really says is that God watched over some but didn't watch over others. He said something really challenging, right? He said that's what that means, that God saved a few but didn't save everyone else. And he talked about in this book how that paints Christians into this preposterous corner of having to say things like some things. We actually talked about it around your table yesterday, making these cards, right? And thinking about what are the right words to say to people who are hurting you know, and it paints you into this corner where you have to say, what, you know, there's a reason for it, or God needed another angel in heaven. And we actually talked about a few of these, right? Um, and he says, those words aren't comforting to people that are suffering. They're hurtful. And so he concluded with this strong rebuttal. He actually wrote these words. It's just, these words blow my mind. It's, it's going to take some time, I think. These words took a lot of time for me. He said this. He said, I believe that God protects me from nothing but sustains me in everything. You know? And I remember I was reading the book. I read this sentence. I highlighted it. I wrote a note in the margin. I took the book. I closed it. And I set it down. Three weeks. I did not pick the book back up. So Katie's been trying to read this book. And she doesn't know because I haven't admitted it yet. But for three weeks, I just let it sit there. I couldn't, I couldn't pick it back up. It was... That sentence, God. And so I kind of felt like I'd been punched in the gut a little bit. It didn't really feel good, um, but at the same time, it did feel authentic. Uh, it did make me think, and it forced me to ask myself some tough questions. 
So, like, this is what I felt. So, will I give people nice Christian platitudes, or will I actually engage people in their real struggle, the real messiness, the real gray areas of life, and actually seek out the gospel, the good news, and the truth in the midst of the challenges and the difficulties that, that we all have to face? I struggled with this statement. Still not sure what I think about it. <laughs> uh, it's really it's difficult. But what it did is it propelled me to a place where I actually found some comfort in the words of our text. And this is, these are the words that I, I went back to over and over and over. And the angels waited on me. And the angels waited. God was in the messiness of these 40 days with Jesus. God was there walking the path of suffering. Guiding, sustaining him all the way through. So, of course, it made us think about our own struggles, that God is in the messiness of our lives with us, holding our hands, walking with us, guiding us through, sustaining us all along the way. I looked at that book every single day for over three weeks, and I did not pick it back up. It's the only time in my life I've ever done it. I needed time to digest the statement, marinate in it for a while, let it do whatever its work was in me. Uh, and then I read this text working on the first day of my and what I realized was Mark seems to be saying something similar. Jesus wasn't protected from temptation. Jesus wasn't protected from the path of suffering. Jesus was thrown to the wild beasts, but God sustained Jesus through it all. And the angels waited on him. And the messiness when I thought about my own life, and the joy and the pain, what I came to reflect on was that Jesus is walking with me through it all. I can actually look back and I thought about some times in my life where I felt that and experienced that, uh, helping me through times that maybe I would have found to be unbearable alone. And so we might rather believe that life will be easy, and there won't be any temptation or hardship, that God will protect us from all these things, but it just doesn't seem honest. Uh, it doesn't ring true with our life experience, and nothing uh, reminds us of this more than the shooting in Florida, right? where all these people senselessly lost their lives. It reminds us of how painful life can be. And our hearts, the hearts of the world on this, collectively break for these people that we do not even know. And so what made me really think is, although I cannot understand their pain, when I read the story of Jesus, I know that God can. I know that God does understand. Because God in Christ has walked the path of suffering before us. And this is where the Lenten journey begins in kind of this dark wilderness place. From the beginning of the gospel story until the end, Jesus is on this collision course with Jerusalem, this collision course with the cross. And so in the outrage of people's response this week to the shooting, we've heard a lot of people say that we need to do more than just offer thoughts and prayers. We've all heard this in the news, right? I've heard it a ton of times. I think we would agree with that, that we do need to do more than and that's why the Wittens opened up their home yesterday to write these cards. We were talking about these cards. Nothing can change what happened, but what we decided was that we wanted to let people know that they're loved and that our hearts break with their hearts. And while I wholeheartedly agree that we do need to do more than just pray, I also know that a Christian's starting point is prayer. We enter into, this is what we see in Scripture, we enter into the pain of our brothers and sisters. We pray that God will sustain them through their pain, just as God has sustained Jesus as he walked his path of suffering. Now, when my kids 
grew up, I was on dad duty in the morning. I always had the privilege of taking him to school. Highlight of my day. Never wanted to miss it. When I was out of town on trips, it used to just kill me. My favorite thing about it was walking from the car to the classroom and holding their hand. Absolutely loved it. The joy that that brought me every day for years, until high school, I realized. <laughs> <laughs> like one, I don't, they don't want to hold my hand, and two, they don't even really want to be seen with me anymore. <laughs> Up until then, this was like the highlight of my day, right? Through good days and bad, what I knew was going to happen, I was, we were, I was going to hold their hands every single day, through good times and in bad times. And this is the image when I finished kind of reflecting on this passage. This is the image that I was left with. And I actually found this from Isaiah 41, 13. And it says, For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, Do not fear. I will help you. So may Jesus hold those who are suffering today with immeasurable tenderness and compassion. May they know and experience the sustaining hand of Jesus in theirs. May we do the same for people in our lives who are hurt. May we hold them with tenderness and compassion, walking with them on the journey of their suffering so that they always know that they do not walk alone. Amen.